Welcome to Momus the Podcast. We're your hosts, Sky Gooden and Lauren Wetmore. Ooh, baby, I'm <laughs> Every, Every day. day. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no one needs this. <laughs> My favorite song. Thank you. <laughs> How have you been? Um, I've been fine. I think that we're... Uh... Yeah, I think you were right. There's not a lot of uh, fodder for, for chit-chat <laughs> right now. It's a bizarre thing to be living in the most interesting times historically that we could and have very little to say. Mm. I feel stunned. I mean, for me, it's a really infuriating time because it's like two months of quarantine. And then suddenly the city decides to open up again for no reason other than the fact that they want to stimulate the economy and yeah just placing so many people in like epic danger and of course everybody flocks out to the like lingerie store or the whatever it's ah. just nonsense <laughs> total nonsense <laughs> yeah things are quite grim in Montreal and it's funny I talked to a friend yesterday who's in politics and she was like how are you feeling are you tracking this like what is it like to be in the epicenter like the New York City of Canada and <laughs> I was like I Canada loves Jen- to do that right (laughs) like the day that Canada stops referring to New York City I will move back there (laughs) that's a great benchmark (laughs) that will never arrive why are you like hanging your hat on this but in this case it's such it's such a grim reach for notoriety It's always a grim reach for notoriety. I mean, please. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me started. But, um, you know, the thing is, I didn't know. That was the the sort of shocker. Uh, yeah. It was I was completely out to lunch on, like, just how bad things had gotten here. And she she seemed yeah. sort of distressed that I shouldn't be tapped into that news. And I said, listen, we're, we're all of us in the cultural sphere, I think, just absolutely... Uh, resolved in uh, this like extended quarantine it's not like we're hanging yeah. on the city to tell us when it's time it's like no yeah. um, in fact I think there would be quite a bit of social stigma if any of us were were launching into uh, to action again <laughs> socially so I mean it's funny that you talk about how maybe the cultural sphere will have sort of like an overhang after even other parts of Mm-hmm. life starting because the episode that we're going to introduce right now is sort of very specifically about what it means to stop mm-hmm. a very kind of powerful moving train like an arts festival. So this would be a good chance to introduce our guest um, and and how you've come to know him, Daniel Blanga Gube. Yeah, so Daniel is a curator and a researcher based in Brussels. He is the co-director of the Kunsten Festival des Arts, which is a kind of like really beautiful portmanteau to illustrate how things work in Brussels, because it's the Kunsten Fest, which would be the Dutch, and then they hang on the end of that Estival des Arts, which would be the Dutch. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it rolls off the tongue, I think, but <laughs> it is one of the most significant arts festivals in Belgium. 
For 20 years, it's been occurring annually in May over a period of three weeks. Uh, And it takes over public spaces, museums, theaters, and other art spaces Mm. across the city. The festival commissions and represents contemporary theater, performance, dance, and visual arts. And it is sort of the the backbone of this huge creative ecosystem in Brussels that's composed not only of artists and performers in Brussels and also abroad that come in uh, for the festival, but also all of these people who work to facilitate these projects mm-hmm. and facilitate the festivals. So, you know, sound technicians, carpenters, people who work in sewing and costume making, students, ushers, interns, like... Mm-hmm. It touches every facet of creative life in Brussels. And um, as you know, I think from spending some time in, in Brussels, Brussels is a city that is populated by people who um, their livelihood is their artistic practice or some kind of extension of it, uh, i.e. like working to support the artistic practices of other people. When I spoke to Daniel for the podcast, the festival had really just that week uh, announced their decision to cancel due to COVID. And I don't think it's an overstatement to say that that decision, although totally necessary, is sort of exemplary of this far-reaching reverberations that COVID closures have had in artistic communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I thought was really important about this interview um, was that even though it's a very specific situation, you know, in in Brussels, it seems kind of like a case study of stopping. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, like this, what it means to actually cancel, what it means to stop, what it means to grind all of this to a halt Mm -hmm. and how many people that affects and how many overarching consequences that has. And you know me, like I I love to get into the weeds of uh, institutional mechanics Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. Um, And I think that this is sort of a perfect example of how looking at very specific, concrete and daily administrative or bureaucratic realities can yield like really incredibly important questions about the finer points of artistic conception and production and as well as the lived reality of artists. Mm. So there's this moment in the interview um, where I totally lose momentum and there's just dead air. Uh, And it's because we were talking about uh, the Kunsten Festival Days Art and Daniel's work um, to support artists who are coming to Belgium and to support their visa applications. And how even though they are no longer going forward with the festival, they are still trying to support mobility of artists to Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, just, I lost momentum around the kind of like terribly depressing and exploitative situation. The government of Belgium places people who are applying for visas in the issue now is not, it's not really just a question of whether or not a work of art will be seen though. Of course that's, you know, an important matter in of itself, but but this is actually a question of a person's freedom of movement mm-hmm. and their access to their legal rights and honestly their physical safety and their emotional well-being and how Daniel can show how it, an institution can maintain a commitment to to an artist's development and well-being and creative practice 
even when they are not expecting them to make any artwork. Mm, mm. Wow. It sounds like you cover some pretty vital ground. And that's quite heartening considering that you spoke with him a few weeks ago now. Like this one has been in the can for a bit. Does it feel like the conversation maintains its its relevance all these weeks later? You and I kind of offline from this have been talking about, uh, you know, how to get paid the right amount yeah. <laughs> as a writer One of in my the favorite art world. Topics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I think that that extends to having hard conversations before the work starts. Mm. Whether that means contracts or agreements, it means, uh, yeah, it means having those conversations. And I think that there are so many ways that, that institutions and organizations set up situations where at the end, if they want to cancel something, if they don't want to pay, if they're not able to pay, they can wriggle out of commitments mm. to artists or creative practitioners that place them out on a limb. I think that COVID-related closures is obviously extenuating circumstances. Mm. But we can see these kinds of mistreatments of creative practitioners through cancellations mm -hmm. and through lack of payment, we can see this kind of uh, issue cropping up again and again and again. I guess it's just one of those things where the barn doors blow open, um, you know, in a bad storm and which animals break the fences and which ones, you know. So there are, I think, institutions that are trying to get away with something right now. And then the other ones that are um, uh, showing up for their creative contributors, um, are taller, all the taller for, for that action. I look forward to hearing this conversation between you and Daniel Blanga Goubet. It struck me that a lot of the people we've been talking to have been thinking about art objects and sort of spaces themselves. And you are actually dealing with a very complex situation that involves a lot of people in space. Mm in producing a festival of visual and performing art in Brussels called the Kunsten Festival des Arts and having to basically just stop a train that was moving very, very fast. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, definitely. So it's, um, as you were saying, so the festival was supposed to open on, uh, on May 8th and uh, so the month of March and April is extremely uh, busy, but at the same time is the moment when all the work has already been finalized. I, I always mm -hmm. think of this uh, small moment. It was just like one of the last days we were able to go to the office before the, the lockdown or the self-isolation, and we got... 25,000 brochures of the festival that were printed. So there was indeed something uh, coming in uh, in all this, but just like to give you an idea of the uh, of the timing, because somehow everything, so every edition of the festival, we work for somehow one year and a half to arrive to the festival. And uh, end of February is really the moment when every everything has to be already finalized, which means all the communications, so the posters that are supposed to be placed in the whole city and the brochure and uh, all the uh, bookings for travels and accommodations for almost uh, 100 
20 artists that are arriving in the city. So it's, uh, it oh. was a rather complex moment. And as you, as you mentioned, uh, you have the impression of working for a kind of unstoppable train. So uh, I think that we are all used to work in a way that we, I mean, it's very easy in our position, I think, to, to think about things that can go in another way or how to face, uh, unpredictable elements and and still how to Mm -hmm. arrive to a kind of solution. So I think that we are very uh, trained somehow as curators to work with uh, how to improvise while things go in a different way. Absolutely. Like the idea of stopping is not an option. Exactly. So uh, improvising to find solution, it's something that we always do, but like the idea of stopping completely, it's something very difficult to to accept at the very beginning so i think that we passed the first weeks in uh, between the uh, trying to understand this, the situation but also i have to say today in a kind of phase of denial as well that we had simply mm. to understand how this could happen uh, otherwise and i think that at the very beginning was very difficult for everybody to understand the the proportion of what we were living and we are living so mm. But I have to say that then it was also very interesting to shift day by day and little by little. I think that as for many people, uh, the the current situation at the beginning was kind of uh, multiplying the uh, just like overworking to to just like produce several uh, scenarios uh, at the same time. So just like to think at the same time, what does it happen if we can do the festival? What does it happen if you have to <laughs> shift it in some weeks? Or what does it happen if you have to move it to September? So all this kind of... Yeah. Um, uh, and so being in contact with all the different artists, just like to... But also to reassure them that somehow we were thinking about them and also to uh, thinking about possible solutions. Yeah, I can imagine there's a lot of uh, emotional labor involved there too. You have people who are getting ready to present work for the very first time that they've been working on for a long time, maybe in a place they've never performed before. Yeah, that also was part of the way we like to do it, which is being in a kind of close contact with the artists and with everybody who's involved. And indeed, as you're saying, most of the works of the festival are premiering at the festival or are co-commissioned for the festival. So there's a lot of emotional labor that goes on as well in the idea that artists are not only presenting at the festival, but they are right now, or they were at that moment in the phase of creating something which is always a very fragile and precious moment and filled with a lot of doubts and desire to produce something that is meaningful. And and from our side, a desire of support them both financially, but also as curators and also having discussions about the work. So indeed at the beginning, it was very important to have personal discussions and artists were indeed reacting in very different ways. Uh, Mm. Some with, from their side as well, with kind of denial saying, no, but this, I mean, the situation would go back to normal life very yeah. soon and some some other also being very fragilized by the uncertainty uh, will i be able to produce or not the work in time so that yeah. was also part of a decision at a certain moment to cancel completely the festival because somehow out of 34 projects 25 were new creations and it was an incredible uh, fragilizing, precarizing situation for the artists and just like demanding them to go on working without knowing if this, uh, if it was possible or not to, to, 
present something. And at the same time, we were facing a, a huge problem also with international mobility <laughs> because somehow it's also an international festival. And um, mm-hmm. we were in conversation with artists from uh, or who are based right now in, in China or in Japan or in Iran or uh, Malaysia or Italy or the US. So all, all each country also had a kind of different situation in respect to the virus as well, if uh, mm-hmm. the peak already happened or not, or if they are now simply preparing themselves to the worst week. So it, it was also um, very complex, but interesting at the same time and crucial to just like touch base with all the artists who at the same time were also depending from so many different political situations and ways of reacting to, to the virus. Can I ask, and maybe you're not able to answer this, but I wonder if there, of course, there's the disappointment of stopping, but is there also perhaps a relief in uh, being able to stop? Yeah, I have to say that it took a little while to to see this side as well, but definitely uh, I would say that there are two elements in this uh, this question. On the one side, indeed, there's the relief because somehow you are so not used to think that you can stop this, that once it happens, uh, it also helps to change the perspective about what's the relation between the invisible and the visible part that you do within within an institution, that somehow, Hmm. even though you have to stop completely, this doesn't, uh, it's not the end of the world somehow. Uh, um, And at the same time, I have to say that there was a part of relief as well, in having the ability to also raise a kind of different question, which was, what's the role of the institution in this specific moment? So somehow Mm -hmm. also being able to zoom out and trying to understand how can I put this project, which is, for example, in in my case, Kunsten Festival Design, or in our case, because I share the direction with um, two other uh, people, how can we put um, the institution at the service of what we have to usually to do, which is support artistic creations in this specific moment. So somehow raising this question and also trying to understand that even though we cannot have the festival, we still have a function within the field. And we have also to adapt to the current situation to understand how to play a role as well in these specific conditions. This was also kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you shift that function or how did you sort of re-envision your function? Well, I have to say it's not so much, maybe in our case, not so much about re-envision, but just like even to be sharper and more precise that somehow the role of the festival has always been to support art- artistic creation. And I think that it was very interesting to understand how to uh, be uh, loyal to this. And so we try simply to understand mm-hmm how um, can we not simply pay all the co-productions for the work that has been done, but try to offer financial compensation for all the work that has been cancelled. And this is part Mm. for the work that has been done already, but also for, because we work with so many artists and independent artists and freelancers, technicians, collaborators, and some of them, with some of them, we already had a contract, but with some of them, we didn't not yet sign a contract, for example, all the technicians. And so we have all the questions right now. How can we try to honor um, this um, independently on the status of our contract? And also how can we uh, try to be vigilant that we are dealing with so many people 
for whom the the work they had to do in Kunst Festival des Arts was part of how they plan their future month uh, and the, yeah. the possibility of living or paying rent or buying food. So I think that like keeping the attention on the fact that supporting artistic creation, it's not only supporting the visible part of it, but also the crucial aspect of uh, paying as much as possible everything that you that you have to cancel as well. Independently on the fact that we're going to postpone most of this project to next year, we are trying to to pay uh, a kind of cancellation fee this year as well, because uh, hmm. it's not because you present it next year that artists will not have problems this year. And so also just like to focus on how much this is important for the artists today, but also for their future and the ability of going on. Uh, and I think that there are a lot of institutions that are doing right now this uh, this kind of reflection and, and that some institutions have the possibility of doing it, some of uh, not so much. And I think that we are all dealing with a kind of very uncertain uh, financial situation because most of us, we are depending from um, public subsidies and sponsors and tickets. And the yeah. three of them are right now in a very uncertain situation. I mean, we know that we will not have tickets and this was a kind of crucial part for the festival, but we know also that for sponsors or uh public subsidies, sometimes the cancellation of the festival might correspond to a cancellation of the support, which hmm. I have to say that for me was a kind of, uh, so we are fighting a lot uh, this, but I have to yeah. say that for me was also a kind of interesting reflection with them about how much um, in the perception of uh, sponsor or politicians, the work in the field is linked with the with the event and not so much with the invisible part. And I think that we have to be able in the future to to shift this even more. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think in the first place, wanting to give a primacy to artistic creation and not be so wrapped up in the idea of there being an end product. Yeah, that first is an important or an unusual direction for, for any kind of large-scale arts event. And then in the face of this kind of situation to continue on wanting to uh, support that artistic production, even though there absolutely is a guarantee that there will not be any kind of final product, that strikes me as very unusual. And your the Kinston Festival's approach to remuneration seems very unusual, although you said that you think a lot of institutions are are thinking about it in the same way. But yeah, my my experience or understanding is that that really isn't the way that institutions or funding bodies are handling this. Yeah. And as a result, a lot of people, a lot of cultural workers are really um yeah, having a lot of difficulty right now. No, yeah, definitely. And I, I think, well, as I was saying, I think that maybe not all institutions were in a position of doing this. Uh, right. But indeed, I think that uh, on different scale, I think uh, scales, I think it's still crucial to to still try to understand today how to support the uh, how to support artists, how to support, but also yeah, freelancers, technicians, as I was mentioning before, because there are yeah. so many people who. Um, work around and that, that somehow make um, exhibitions and performance and everything that we usually share uh, uh, possible. And I think uh, somehow trying to support them today, um, well, is a way as well to to sustain uh, the future of the field. And for me, I think that like in the past years, what I was mentioning right now in the relation with the political power and sponsors, I think that in the past yeah. years, we experienced a kind of shift of um, 
the perception of uh, of the artistic field or or the idea of culture from the side of um, from the side of politicians that has to be more and more conceived as a kind of event or a kind of festivalization mm-hmm. of uh, uh, of art institution that everything has to be uh, organized in a kind of very uh, condensed and visible um, uh, way because it has yeah. has also the possibility to be capitalized in a kind of easier way by um, cities in terms of tourism etc and right now yeah. was really the moment where I saw the I mean, if we always spoke about the danger of this uh, politics, I think that right now I really saw the danger of it in a kind of very concrete way. Because when you reduce the whole artistic uh, process to to the kind of the event, if the event disappears, you have the risk to to invisibilize the whole uh, process as well that brought there. And yeah. uh, this is what I think we might be one of the challenges that we have right now in try to fight even more for practices even more than uh, simply punctual projects and to the invisible labor more than simply the visible event that can be easily recuperated so while all of this is happening you were also producing um a curatorial project online called four rooms um and we were saying that it's kind of funny that there's been a lot of backlash around digital programming. Um, the idea that this is kind of a fallback place for institutions. Um, but yeah, you are, while you're dealing with shutting down this festival, you're also producing this project, um, that is very specifically in order to respond to the coronavirus situation. Um, but also the conditions under which it needs to be made. So maybe you could tell us a bit about that project. Kunstfilm Festival des Arts um, was more part of my background, more as independent curator and and especially independent curator of public program, which is what I was doing with the project, which is called Aleppo, that I uh, opened in 2014 and then uh, for other institutions as well. And somehow the program was quickly put up to to react to the current situation, but especially to counter the romanticization of self-isolation. Somehow somehow there was a lot of reflection going on, especially in mainstream media, about this being a kind of democratizing disease and uh, that we are all in this together. And I was very, uh, as many others, and I mean, so many people, I think that I was very aware of the uh, problematic aspect of this discourse and how on actually rather the opposite, this is a kind of situation that is uh, reproducing and broadening inequalities um, in in having people that have the privilege to work from home and others have to run towards the city just like to um, assure that everything run smoothly for the other. So mm-hmm. uh, I um, I just like had the idea of inviting some uh, thinkers or artists I was in contact before and just like ask them to react, starting from a very specific question I was addressing them. So it was uh, started with Elisabeth Puvinelli reacting about this uh, Western obsession about the division between life and non-life and how the virus is uh, has the ability to somehow transcend this uh, dichotomy or this opposition. Then Shaham Hosrabi, who's an uh, Iranian scholar um, who wrote an amazing book, uh, which is called The Autoethnography of Borders. And I asked him to uh, reflect about the relation between the pandemic and borders and how 
borders who not only exist between nations, but also inside societies. And he was referring to the Afghan uh, street vendors community in Tehran, or uh, with Denise Ferreira da Silva, also an artist and uh, a scholar, speaking about the question of exclusion, who is excluded by the whole narrative that is happening, or with Paul Maheke, who managed a very beautiful uh, reading session on hydrofeminism. So the idea was, again, to to bring together a different perspective, and uh, the title of the project was Four Rooms, um, it was a kind of reference to a very funny movie of 95 that was directed by oh Ford. Oh my God, that makes me so happy that you were referencing that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was a kind of movie um, uh, that was collectively composed by four, uh, four different uh, directors among um whom also yeah. Quentin Tarantino. And, um, and for me, it was a kind of interesting reference just because looking at this movie seems so far away. Like it's just like uh, a yeah. portrait, this kind of Hollywood uh, or Los Angeles um, uh, hotel and this kind of society of people traveling from one place to the other and then arriving at the hotel, which is like happens in strong opposition to the current situation. So it was really the idea of composing an ideal apartment or an ideal hotel with four rooms mm. and four different perspectives on the uh, on the current situation, and the fact of bringing together artists and scholars, uh, but also as I was saying, like artists like Paul Maheke or or Denise, was also for me a kind of crucial element of reminding as well um, that somehow artists always help us understanding the time that we're living and and artistic creation is a way of reflection more than being a kind of object on which we have to reflect it is in itself a kind of instrument of reflection and and for me it was a kind of interesting to reaffirm that artists in this specific situation do not have to feel obliged just like to produce more art and content online but they are also super valid uh, thinkers uh, to reflect with us. That's why I just like composed this small program to reflect on these elements of the, of the pandemic. Hmm. And did you find that people were eager to participate? I know that just as you were saying, there's been a lot of kind of focus on asking artists to somehow respond to the situation. You know, the idea that they don't get some time off to freak out yeah. too. Um, but were, did people seem eager or did they feel like it was a, like a useful exercise for them within this whole process? I think that like Paul, for example, he told me that he found this as the first, um, somehow meaningful proposal, because I guess that he got other proposals indeed more to, to create content, to somehow be parts of, uh, how, institutions have still to to produce content or to entertain and i think he was a bit skeptical about yeah. um, some of these attitudes but i have to say that yeah, I, it's a bit of a sideshow thing like indeed. you have to now perform because we are doing something behind the scenes exactly also giving a fee because it, though it's kind of independent mm-hmm. program i still think it's super important uh, that yeah. uh, independently of this is like it's an institutional or an independent thing you have to pay everybody and to, to remind exactly that sounds great uh, <laughs> it's just like a basic but crucial element um, uh, so i uh, i have to say it was um with with the four of them a very uh, very nice conversation also very very short because everything was set up in 
one week, ten days. So uh, oh, wow. it was it was rather uh, okay. I mean, something is happening. There are so many uh, missing perspective. Let's just try to. Uh, I just like curated this program and then proposed them, and then then we we did it uh, kind of quickly. Nice. I wanted to go back to one of the rooms that you were mentioning. Somebody was talking about. Um, can you remind me of his name? The person who was talking about borders, Shaham Khosrabi. Yeah. And I know that that's also something you think about a lot in all of your different aspects of work, but international mobility. Um, and how are you thinking about that now in terms of uh, the border lockdowns and tightening up of uh, of travel? Yeah. What does that mean for international mobility and the arts going forward? No, I think this is a, for me personally, like a crucial question about also the long-term role of the arts as well, because somehow right now we are well affected by restriction of international mobility and we are, or I was, uh, part of kind of... Um, a system where I was used to travel almost every week, just like follow up conversation with artists and then going to see exhibitions and festivals and just like to support artists as sort of just like to bring their work to uh, Brussels. And right now we are in a completely different situation and also trying to understand how we will uh, work in the future. And I think that on the one side, the kind of immediate reaction of many institutions, including uh, us in Crystal Festival, was, okay, maybe for the near future, we have to really focus on the local scene and on the local community, which is also something that we are always doing in, in Crystal Festival, just trying to, to support local artists. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I have the impression that this is a kind of too easy solution. It's also part of the reflection, what's the role of an international festival in this specific moment uh, when international mm-hmm. mobility is impossible and very uncertain in the near future. And somehow we just like wanted to highlight the importance of the international festival or any international festival in the future or in the time that we are living because somehow we can observe how this emergency situation is easily... Um, instrumentalized by by governments and political leaders in a spirit of isolationism or nationalism through Europe and other parts of the world. For me, it was very interesting to follow a bit how the virus was used in, uh, for example, in the US narrative, but also, for example, in the Polish narrative. uh, Right now, speaking with with, um, Polish colleagues, saying how uh, the, the idea of protection of borders is used in a kind of nationalist agenda by the government in Poland. And from the idea of bringing back Polish citizens as if they cannot be infected by the virus and just like almost treating this as a kind of uh, saving people or saving Polish people being that are outside the country, just like to bring them back home and how this can have a kind of huge impact in uh, nationalistic politics even after or during the current situation. So there, for me, there was a kind of question about how much do we have to put attention about the role that we have as an international festival and what will be our role even more to preserve international exchange and kind of a diversity of artistic expressions and to bring in our city kind of plurality of visions from different regions of the world and help us navigate its complexity in a moment when we might suffer from a more nationalist perspective. 
Right. It's also important to say that there is the restrictions upon international mobility that we experience now, but then we shouldn't forget that there are major restrictions on international mobility beforehand for artists from many different parts of the world trying to get to Europe or Europe trying to get to other parts of the world. And those are sort of lived realities that have been going on you know, since the beginning of time. And now it's like, okay, now we are all experiencing that, obviously from a completely different position of privilege, but... Which, as you're saying, um, it's not exactly the same that somehow people, I mean, there were people that are indeed like daily suffering from uh, restrictions and that somehow are even more affected in the current situation. We were also in the middle of visa processes for, for artists that we... Inviting Brussels, we spend a lot of time there because somehow there's uh, very racist politics that are uh, uh, yes. done, just like to name the thing. Uh, and, and it's becoming incredibly, not only difficult for the institution, because I think that the problem is not, I mean, the institution is not suffering of this. It's mainly, it's extremely humiliating for artists to having to go through this process. And and the thing is that right now, the, the pandemic gives even more gives even more um, excuse to just like slow down process in a kind of super complex uh, uncertainty. And artists are simply left in a kind of uncertainty that is legitimized by the current situation. Yeah, absolutely. Oof. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I got sidetracked by the kind of depression of that moment. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just that we are dealing, uh, honestly, with artists for whom we were, for example, doing like Schengen visa that were like six-month visa, yeah. just like to allow them to travel in several also festivals and institutions after Kunsten. Also, the cancellation of Kunsten is used as an excuse to slow down the process and then somehow the whole uh, uncertainty about reopening of borders put them in a super fragile situation, even about the future of their work. It's mm-hmm. it's really like a shitty situation, honestly, for them. We are still trying to follow this up because somehow, even though the festival is cancelled, um, it would be important for them to get this visa. Hmm. It strikes me, I've been really depressed by seeing all of the media about the different actions that larger institutions have been taking, furloughing lots of employees and canceling programs and in place, you know, making collections visible, which is a total nothing. It strikes me that you're, that you are actually trying to mobilize the institutional power towards some solutions. Um, but that gives me a lot of hope. Yeah, yeah. I think it goes back a bit to the kind of more exciting phase of this. Uh, uh, when at the beginning was saying, yeah, it was a bit of denial and then a bit of mourning for the cancellation of the festival. Also kind of more interesting moment where you really think how you, how you can still um, do something as an institution in this moment. And, and it's clear that you can do several things, but it's also clear that for us, the idea of presenting something online was really not even a discussion. I think that from the very beginning we said, okay, the only thing that we can do is just like try to going on in a more more invisible but crucial maybe for us at least a work, which is the one of supporting the artists in in several several points and also support part of our partners in Brussels because, for example, Kunsten had a kind of uh, or has a kind of strong link with several associations in Brussels. And so we decided, for example, that we wanted to 
try to also channel our support to, for example, Dushflux, which one is one uh, association, association in Brussels that try to support uh, homeless people in uh, during their life in, in Brussels. And it's clear, for example, that homeless people are much more precarized uh, by the situation mm-hmm. than, than our sector, than, than the arts. Um, so we're mm-hmm. trying just like to keep active this um, this link of support and just like try to use part of our support to uh, support what they are doing right now. And then for the rest, trying to analyze a bit what we, what we can do. But somehow the, the, the idea of producing or of doing things online was not so much an option for us. And I think it has to do probably with um, trying not to go on as if um, nothing happened and just like mm-hmm. trying not to fill the void by replacing the, the experience with another experience. And also I think it, it has to do a lot with the specificity also of the, of the discipline that we focus on, which is mainly performing art, even though we have also kind of a more visual art program. But Kunst and Festival, it's really, it really emerged from the tradition of theater, dance, uh, and performing art. Mm-hmm. And there, I still strongly believe that there's a kind of experience of proximity or a kind of shared experience that it's very important. It's also the specificity of, 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 uh, of a festival that was born 25 years ago with a desire of somehow going beyond uh, communities. Back then was the French-speaking and the Flemish community in Brussels. Today is even more in the complexity of our city. But the festival was born with the idea of uh, bringing together audiences coming from different communities in the same place, so in, in a theater hall or in public space. And, and I still believe that this is kind of very important role, the fact that um, how can you use a kind of public event being kind of festival or um, or theater or an exhibition or what we do in public space sometimes can also work as a way to bring together people and broaden the image that each of us has of the city in which we live. And somehow for me, there's still a kind of very important element in having kind of physical experience in the public space or within uh, venues about what yeah. does it mean to to meet others without having planned or what does it mean to be in kind of gathering place <laughs> or how to still give value to the unforeseen or the unpredictable element that the public space has. So somehow for me, the, the idea of not substituting the importance of this physical encounter and unpredictable encounter with uh, online content was also part of this reflection at the moment. And at the same time, I think that for me, there was something that was happening indeed in these last weeks about, um, or that maybe can also have a risk to romanticize too much this idea of the empty public space in this moment. Because somehow <laughs> it was yeah, happening a yes. lot, for example, like this series of amazingly uh, or beautiful pictures and photos on the covers of the New York Times. Every day you see uh, empty streets in different parts of the world. But at the same time, it also creates a kind of distorted uh, image of reality in which we think that everybody is at home. While I think, so it also contributes a bit to the idea of romanticizing a bit the quarantine and just like invisibilizing even more people that are already invisibilized or that were already invisibilized by the 
somehow normal way of running society. And that so many people that are forced to live in the street, but also to still be part of the public space because they, they are part of yeah. um, um, still running uh, what has to be run in order for the society to work or to deliver things or to uh, clean the streets. And for me, this emptiness of the, of the cities, as I was saying, a bit romanticized, but it's incredibly beautiful pictures, have also a risk to, to invisibilize even more that actually streets are not empty at all. They are simply, uh, they appear empty, but indeed there are so many people that are forced to, uh, to go through them uh, to survive also the pandemic. I'm very prone also to shifting into this kind of dystopian world fantasizing and the barren landscape is a huge aspect of that. Yeah. But you have to remind yourself that even if it's dystopian fiction, it's still fiction. Yeah. To follow up on what you were saying about the importance of proximity and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, how do you see the future of proximity going forward? But at the beginning, I was, I was really thinking about um, what will be the art sector uh, after uh, the coronavirus. While I have to say that right now I'm more into the question what will be the art sector during the coronavirus because somehow yeah. what is emerging in these last days um, is the possibility that if we take, for example, theaters, is that it's possible that either theater will be closed for... Well, it's still completely unpredictable, but some people say, yeah, until after summer, some say 12 months or 18 months. So this also obliges us to, to think, okay, can, how can we still organize something during this situation? So I had a kind of, I had a lot of conversations with colleagues in these last days, just also trying to understand how they were organizing Indeed, what you're asking as a question, how, how do we organize proximity uh, or physical right. proximity uh, in, in the possibility of experience collectively something? And this goes in very different directions that are many theaters that are thinking of reopening in September, selling tickets in order to leave one and a half meter between one spectator and the other. Picturing this, it's really a kind of dystopian uh, <laughs> Uh, image when you <laughs> you see a kind of theater where you have inside only twenty or thirty people dispersed in the uh, space okay. wearing masks, but it's also part uh, of um, the reality uh, that we might uh, yeah we have to deal with if we want still to give to the artist a possibility to present something in the in the near future. It's a whole complex issue. But at the same time, today, we had a kind of first meeting about, uh, I mean, not a first meeting, but just we had one meeting about 2021, about uh, the festival for next year. And on the one side, we know that we will, we will do different, pro I mean, most of the projects that we already co-produced and, and we wanted to present this year, we will present next year because it's also important to still support the artists and give them the possibility to show this work in Brussels. But also today we started the meeting with a completely different angle and just like trying to think, okay, but what if we are still in this situation in one year from now, which I hope we want, but who knows, what are the formats that are possible uh, 
how can we have conversation with artists? Maybe we have more to invest in, in other kind of formats. And then we were fantasizing about um, drive-in or about uh, <laughs> somehow formats that would allow to experience something while keeping uh, uh, social distance or respecting natural. Uh, because maybe this will also be part of, of conversation we will have with artists about how can we support you in creating projects that are still, or that somehow start from the measures that we have to follow anyway. Uh, so this, as always, limitations are not only limitation, but they are also occasions to think in a creative way, uh, to think how to react to this or how starting from this limitation, something is still possible in the craft. So it was also good to have such a meeting in this moment where we are so much focusing on the present and just like to open up um, a reflection about the future. And once again, I think it's important not to impose anything of the artists, but just like to, to simply ask them as well the way they think they want to produce in this moment. Momus the Podcast is edited by Jacob Irish, features original music by Kyle McRae, and assistant production from Mitra Shriram. We would like to thank Daniel Blanca Gube for his contribution to this season. And readers, listeners, we do need you. Please consider making a one-time donation to Momus by contacting me, Sky Gooden at momus.ca, or a monthly donation for as little as one or five dollars per month through patreon.com slash momus art if you like our work please help us make it this has been episode 20 of momus the podcast <laughs>